0: Man, good to be with you this morning. Um, I do want to introduce Centrity fifty six and give an update for you. Uh, we've been in the States for almost five months, and we're going back on Wednesday. So this is our, our last hurrah, if you will. And uh, But I want to share it. There's so many people who are part of this body. It's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, but who have partnered with us and blessed us and and just in so many significant ways. So if you can pull up the slides, uh, I just want to give you a brief update and explanation of what CEN56 is. So we exist to reach the unreached people groups of Africa. There's about, it's really 900 to 1,000, not exactly sure of the number, but to send workers, and what we do is we train and send and support African missionaries to go among the unreached. So you can go to the next slide. This is a, a picture. All of those red dots you see there. This is from JoshuaProject.net. These are the unreached people groups of Africa. So you have about one. Uh, you have about two thousand ethno-linguistic tribes, people who have their own language, their own culture of about a billion people in Africa, and and they slice it up a little differently, but they have identified, you know, we can actually know where the unreached tribes are, and that's a tribe that's less than 2% of that people group has the gospel. And there are There are millions and millions, hundreds of millions who do not have the gospel. And the majority of these unreached people groups are Islamic. So just to give you a picture, you can go ahead to the next slide. So what we do is we establish mission training schools and create global partnerships. That is, people from the states actually support and sponsor African missionaries that are trained And then with with those partnerships, we send out missionaries. And it's, it's actually an African missions organization. So we have missionaries on the field who are Africans, and we correspond with them in Africa, in the ministry in Africa. And in America, we create the connection so that people can support those African missionaries who are working on the front lines. Go ahead and to the next slide. So some of our core values... Are to empower and work with African missionaries. You know, there is a a, a concept in our mind that missionaries are Westerners, but that's really blown up in the last 50 years or so, where the the missions movement is now multicultural and global. Because, you know, when you watch like the Reinhardt Bonnke Crusade and you see 1.5 million people at a crusade, I think I saw one recently of uh, Daniel Kalenda. I was just so blessed by Daniel Kalenda. But the revivals that are happening in Africa over the last century, uh, out of those revivals, the Lord is raising up workers. He's raising up missionaries who are then going to the other nations, the other tribes who need the gospel. And, uh, and, but it takes a global effort. And we believe in these two values so strongly The value of the proclamation of the gospel. And I'll talk about this a little bit today, but we really believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And the word of God, the gospel, is supposed to be central in missions. And that's actually gotten really turned around in our time where many, many organizations are not putting the gospel and gospel workers and preachers central in missions. So, And we believe in the value of night and day prayer. So you can continue. So this is one of our classes that graduated. We moved to Isiolo. This is where we are in Isiolo. And we graduated a class. You can go to the next slide. I wanna go really fast. Some of our guys sharing the gospel. Next slide. <laughs> Prayer. <laughs> Next slide. <laughs> you know, I don't wanna to take too much time. That's why I'm, I wanna share with you a few stories. So, this is Simon Peter, and these are missionaries that were sent out of the base in Uganda. We, have, we actually have two missions bases right now one in Uganda and one in Kenya, and both of them have a full time school. Will and Edda are here. They lead the base, I don't know, I don't see them, but they actually lead the base in Uganda. We were there for seven years, there they are, (laughs) they got their little baby, clap for them. So they lead the base in Uganda, a full-time staff and school is going on there, about 25 full-time students. And, um, And so this is Simon Peter, go ahead and go back, I just want you to see that baptismal. That's the work they're doing in South Sudan. Ugandan missionaries in South Sudan preaching the gospel, they've planted four churches, and I love this picture. I love this picture, that's their baptismal. They dug a hole in the ground, put a tarp, and filled it up with buckets. I mean, that's it. That is the power of the, the African missions movement. These guys are doing what it takes to bring the gospel to the unreached. Go ahead to the next slide. This is Northern Kenya. It's an Islamic area, and one of our missionaries there, Deed, gave us a testimony recently that they went to one Muslim village, and literally the whole village, which is probably about 30 families, once they shared the gospel, came to Jesus. Yeah. I just want to say that um, I'm not going to talk much about Islam today, but Muslims are coming to Christ. Like, this is the hour of harvest to engage with the Islamic world. There has never, ever been a better time to reach the 1.8 billion, 1.8 billion Muslims. And more Muslims are coming to Jesus in our time and generation than ever before in human history. And there are reasons for that. There are reasons for that. One of the reasons is the is the availability of information, the internet, YouTube, because information that was able to be repressed by governments in times past, like that information is not, they cannot keep it down uh, the way it was 50 or 60 years ago. And so people can hear the gospel in these nations, you know, getting on YouTube. Sometimes it's hard for them. uh, And they can also hear criticisms of Islam and hear debates and, and those kinds of things are going on all over Africa and I'll share about them in a minute. But here's what I'm trying to say. This is the hour and the time to engage, uh, to reach Muslims. And in Africa, there are about 450 million. That's more people than live in America, 450 million Muslims in Africa. Okay, go to the next slide. This is uh, Dennis. He's one of our workers. He's been in uh, Ethiopia, in the eastern part of Ethiopia, reaching unreached people there. He started Hope, House of Prayer, Ethiopia which is awesome, and they gather about 30 to 50 people daily for prayer, and they are seeing people come to Jesus, just extraordinary stories. Dennis said uh, a few weeks ago they had an a, uh, evangelistic meeting in the middle of the, the old city, Harar, where they are, and Harar is a Muslim city, well, it's like an ancient walled town, let me put it that way feels like old Jerusalem or something. I've been there cobblestone streets and people selling stuff and you know the burkas and the, the colors I mean it's just incredible and um, and he said they actually had an evangelistic meeting they, they rented a hall. there's literally a mosque like every single every five buildings there's like a mosque. there's 80 mosques in this old uh, city. Well, they had an evangelistic meeting in a hall that's never had a Christian meeting before. They had 200 people make commitments to Christ, and 100 of them were Muslims. Yeah. I mean, that's just a few weeks ago. So that's what these guys go through the training for two years, and then we send them, and we, we support them on the mission field. And then we correspond with them as their, their, actual, their, uh, their missionary organization. So you can continue. Another thing I want to just testify is the, is the way that God has opened a door to reach Muslims. Again, this is me preaching, and ha- we had a two-day debate on the border of Somalia. Well, a town that's near the border of Somalia and Kenya. And um, 10,000, I think it was about five to 10,000 Somalis came to this debate for two days. I mean, it was extraordinary that uh, I was invited by a man named Sheikh Ibrahim. It's like my third or fourth time debating him in different cities. And so he invited me to come, and uh, it was extraordinary. We had that crowd, and you can actually see in the, in the pictures at the bottom, there's a hotel you know, far away. That hotel, people were packed on the balconies of that hotel. I was actually a little worried because there's a stage in the middle and and I told the police officers, we had about 10 police officers. I said, can you please go and check the upper stories of the hotel? Like, (laughs) make sure nobody bad is up there. Uh, Yeah, there's fleshly thoughts that go through your head. (laughs) But anyway... The second day, we really thought it might not happen because the government was trying to shut it down, but finally they allowed it. We had the first day. It was a little bit chaotic. About seven officers controlled the audience. But then the second day was much more organized. God made it happen. And we, I was able to literally proclaim the gospel and read John uh, 1, 1 through 17 and proclaim the gospel to this whole entire audience of Somali Muslims. I mean, unbelievable, extraordinary opportunity. And, um, and then I was able, because of the way they messed up the time, they, I was the last person both days. So I would close the meeting praying in the name of Jesus over the entire audience of Muslims. And, um, and so God is really working. I mean, people ask, like, did anybody get saved? It's not like a meeting where you make an altar call. It's a debate. Where we have the opportunity to bring the gospel to thousands of people who never would otherwise have the opportunity to hear the gospel, and uh, and so just an extraordinary opportunity to do that. Um, and then and then one of the stories is we I get a lot of like feedback online and things like that through social media, and then one guy messaged me. His name was Mohammed. And he said, my whole family is Somali. We're all Muslims. I, please don't say this to anybody. I want to become a Christian. Can you please tell me who to talk to and, and all that. So just amazing things like God is working. And, um, and so you can keep praying. But this is one of many debates that we've been able to engage in Africa. And, uh, and, th- and we continue to do that. So we are, our heart, you can go to the next slide just want to give you an idea of what we're trying to do as a ministry. And the reason I'm saying this to you guys is this is our base. You guys, This is our home church, just so you know. And some of you know that, some of you don't know that. Um, but I want you guys to pray with us over this vision and believe God for this vision. And so what we're really trying to do is send a team of And this is kind of arbitrary. It's not like exactly like this, okay, but it's just explaining where we're trying to go. It is to send a team of missionaries, five missionaries who are trained in Islamics, because that's what we need. We need people who are trained in Islamics to know how to share the gospel with Muslims and who are full of the Holy Spirit. Like those two things are really, really important when you're talking about the Great Commission among Muslims, like we need people full of the spirit and who understand how to reach Muslims. 450 million Muslims in Africa, that's the frontier of the Great Commission that we have. And we want to we want those missionaries, five of them, to be in each people group of the unreached people group. So that's 4,500 missionaries. And what that means is about 10 missions bases with a house of prayer and a training school that's then sending them out and, uh, and we, we came to that number 10, and I won't tell you how we came to that number, but it's about 10 sending out 30 every year on the mission field. So right now we're at two, and we are believing God. You go to the next slide. We're believing God for, in the next five years, to plant another missions base and to build, we built in Uganda, the Lord provided miraculously and we built a house of prayer and we built a mission school in Uganda. We want to do that again in the next uh, couple of years in Isiolo and see another missions base planted in the next five years. That's training and sending missionary, African missionaries, to the unreached. Amen. So that's how you can pray with us. Listen, I'm not going to show the video because of time, okay? So you can go ahead and close this. <sighs> Amen. Can you just give glory to God for what he's doing? I think that uh, immediately when, when uh, I knew I was going to speak to you today, which was like months ago, I had on my heart to just share something different with you and talk to you like, like my family. Because you are, you're like our spiritual family and uh, some of you guys don't know us well. Others know us really well. And, um, and so that's how I want to talk to you today. I want to talk about the, the, uh, the prophetic calling on this people and the prophetic calling on this house. And to encourage you and also to exhort you. I, I want to speak prophetically. And in prophecy it's for exhortation and encouragement and comfort. And that's what I want to do today. I, have, I don't have a word of judgment. I actually have a word of encouragement. I have a word uh, that hopefully gives you such a feeling of, yes, Lord. Like, do this, Lord. We, this is us. And, um, and it's, it's, I feel there's a prophetic calling on this house. And, and uh, so that's what I want to share to you today. I want to talk about partnership in the gospel and what it means to be an Antioch what it means to be an Antioch. So before we get to our main passage, I just want to look at Philippians uh, 1, 3 through 6. And Paul says, you can grab your Bible because I don't have a slideshow for you. Maybe they'll be able to pull it up. But Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the very first day until now, that's how I feel about this church. That's how I feel about you and many people in this room. And he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's not an overstatement to say that partnership is absolutely essential to the success of the gospel. Missions is a team effort. And it's not just a team effort. It's a body effort. It's a body effort where the whole body participates And it's not that everybody's on the mission field, but it's everybody is functioning in the gifts of the spirit and making Jesus number one in their life. And they're functioning in their gifting and their calling in the body. And and it creates a synergy of partnership that causes there to be success, not only in your own city, but then in the nations with what God is doing in the earth. So what I'm saying is that what happens here is deeply connected to what is happening in the world, in the nations, what's happening with us and others. I used to, uh, I used to rock climb some, like, and with rock climbing, and this is the picture I want you to have in your mind, with rock climbing you, have, you, you tie up, you know, onto your harness, and the other guy is connected to a harness. It's not just one person. Not usually. Not unless you're crazy. A lot of people are crazy, but you can do it alone. But it's harder. But anyways, most people, you have to you have to belay. You have to have somebody holding the other side of the rope. One person goes up, and the other person is there, attentive and engaged in the one who's climbing. Right, Because if, if you're up on the wall and you get tired and you slip and fall, if this guy's like making a sandwich and, and he's not thinking about the rope, so the first thing you do is say belay on. And then the person starts climbing because you never, ever let go of the rope. You never let go of the rope, right? Because actually what can happen is if you're like ignoring it and you let the slack, and then if that person falls, the, the rope can literally sh- like right out and you can burn your hand. So there's a way that you have to do it. So there is a partnership. Like what is critical is that there is someone holding the rope, that it's happening together, that there's a partnership going on in order to accomplish that, the goal of, of climbing the wall. Missions is a partnership. Rochelle and I have been, we just, uh, our, our uh, ten-year anniversary in Africa—not marriage. Fifteen years of marriage. Sixteen. She says sixteen. Okay, it's been too long. I just can't remember. After after ten, you forget. Sixteen. I knew I was going to be wrong about that. You never say those things in public. <laughs> It's been 10 years in Africa. Our flight home was literally our 10-year anniversary, our flight to America. And uh, that was five months ago. But, um, man, when we started, it was like our first year. We had nothing. We didn't have a vehicle. Uh, we were living in, in two by 10 rooms. We were doing a discipleship school with 12 young adults. We had like one or two staff. Uh, it, was, it was a little rough in the beginning. And uh, we had very little. I mean, we are doing... Doing it by faith and uh, and we received this uh, donation from a ministry called Gatekeepers. It was like probably our first year or second year I can't remember and uh, a donation and then we found out later it was ihop like the donation came at a time we really needed help, like we were really struggling and we didn't know IHOP. Like, we didn't know who, who Gatekeepers was. It was literally out of nowhere. We're like, God just blessed us with a gift. We have no idea. What is Gatekeepers? That's like, it was a strange name, and we didn't know who, what or who it was. And But that's how the Lord connected us. Somebody had told Billy about us, and then in God just put it on their heart, and they sent us a one-time gift, and that's how we began to, connect in relationship and then we started visiting and connecting with Billy and uh, and a few years later the Lord uh, started uh, put it on our heart with will and Edda and Gabe and Evie and we had already founded the ministry but to start a new organization we were operating under a different organization to start fifty six, and at the time we were praying like Lord where do you want us to base this and there was a few different ideas and and But the Lord was really leading us to, uh, to base 756 and the, the, the headquarters of what we were doing out of IHOP. And we had some conversations with Billy. And I remember uh, we were here seeking the Lord. And it was actually the season we were seeking the Lord. What, are we, what do you really want us to do, God? And Billy said to me, he goes, I, I, the Lord spoke to me. He goes. This is your Antioch. We're called to be an Antioch, and this is your Antioch. And I felt the Lord. Yes, like that. That is it. This people is called to be an Antioch, and God had spoken that to Billy um, years ago when they, when they, uh, when they began. And. You know, at the same time that we were starting Fifty Six and we had been plowing this vision to train and send African missionaries, God also is putting in the heart of Chan and Teresa Pridgen, who are, who are here. I'm not sure if they're in the room either. But he was putting it on their heart to see missionaries, American missionaries, Western missionaries, trained and mobilized to unreached people groups from the house of prayer, from the, the reality of night and day prayer uh, at the center, and sending them into the nations to unreached people groups. And so, and then these things kind of linked together, and, uh, and suddenly IHOP was connected to and sending out missionaries that were going to difficult places, beginning mission, uh, ministries that were reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. And then this became the hub for many of those people who go, who go out and come back and they come here to this community. Uh, that's where they come back home. And so what God had spoken prophetically is now taking place. It is a real thing. Amen? Then, in the last couple of years, God began to do something with bringing together fellowships, and he formed New Bridge. And then I don't think anybody really expected, but God did something miraculous, and he joined together IHOP a New Bridge. Amen? How many of you believe that God is doing that? Like God did this. God did this. I really believe, I want to say it to you prophetically, that God did this. God did this. And that he is creating deeply important partnerships for the gospel. He's bringing together dynamic leaders like Billy and Jeff and Dustin and others but it's not just about bringing together those leaders. And what a unique thing that these guys can come together and yield to each other and work together. I mean, that is so precious in the eyes of the Lord. And it's, it's a miracle in itself that the Lord is doing that. But it's not just about the leaders, it's about the body. Like he's doing something with all of us, bringing us into a synergy and a partnership because he has something in mind that he desires to do in the nations. This city and the nations, like he is doing this for a purpose. You are here for a purpose. He brought you together with others for a purpose, for his glory, for his name. What does it mean to be in Antioch? Acts chapter 13, 1 through 4. And this is our main text. Where we're going to stay for a minute. It says, now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul who is Paul, the apostle, okay? He says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, Antioch is the the capital province of Syria, and it's one of the largest, it was one of the largest uh, cities in the Roman Empire. And this church became the starting place for the Gentile mission. Like, this was the base that Paul would return to. And this was the base that sent out Paul and Barnabas to reach unreached peoples with the gospel. It's the starting place of the Gentile church. Um, There's a a scholar named Michael Green, and he wrote a book called uh, Evangelism in the Early Church, and he says this about Antioch. He says, the Antioch church must have been a place of remarkable fellowship not only between Jews and Gentiles who had put their faith in Christ, but also among other sectors of the Christian community. It was a church where worship was central and where fasting was an indication of their earnest determination to seek the will of God. It was a church which cared so much about fellowship that Jews and Gentiles converted to the faith broke down centuries-old barriers and ate at the same table. It was a church where an aristocrat like Menaean, an ex-Pharisee of the most rigid type like Saul, Barnabas, an erstwhile Levitical landowner in Cyprus, I don't know what erstwhile means. I've never used that word in my life, but this is a scholar, so... Lucius was a Hellenistic Jew from Cyrene, and Simon the Swarthy, which means dark-skinned, was almost certainly an African. They could all work together in a harmonious leadership of the believers. So it was a multi-ethnic community of believers where the gospel was breaking down walls of division between Jew and Gentile and different cultures, and they were together, and the power of the gospel was being demonstrated by their unity and love and fellowship for one another in one place. Like the one race movement. <laughs> that's what Antioch, that's what God was doing to Antioch. Amen. Acts eleven twenty five 25-26 says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year, and they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this is literally the place where Paul first began to teach and preach. and um, And it was here where they first... Were called and became known as Christians. I used to get pretty flustered when I would debate Muslims because they would do things like say, they would, you know, in a public place, like, show us one verse where Jesus says, I am a Christian. And I would get really like flustered, like, I have to figure out the verse where Jesus says you're a Christian. And then suddenly I realized, like, no, 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 that's so stupid. And I just realized like most of the time I just have to agree with them. And so one time we're having this street dialogue, like spontaneous in the street. And there's like 500 people listening, Muslims. And he started saying this. Jesus wasn't a Christian. Christian is nowhere in the Bible. No prophecy about Christian. And uh, and I stood up and I said, of course Jesus wasn't a Christian. (laughs) Like of course he wasn't a Christian. I agree with you. Jesus was the Christ. (laughs) And in the Quran, he's called Isa al Messiah, which means Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. The Quran calls him the Messiah, and Christ is just the English way of saying Messiah. So the Quran agrees that he's the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He's not a Christian. Because a Christian is someone who belongs to the Christ. We are Christians. (laughs) But isn't that awesome? Christian means someone who belongs to Jesus, to the Messiah. And, And so, Sometimes, some scholars believe like this was being said by people outside of the believing community in a negative way. Say like those are the Jesus people or those are the, the people who followed Jesus or I don't know, like in some negative connotation. Um, but what is certain is that when unbelievers began to look at the believers in Antioch, the words that came out of their mouth, what they called them, what they said about these people. And I believe it, it's, it, gives us, it gives us an understanding of what these people were like, right? When the unbelieving community around them looks at the believers in Antioch, what they say about the believer, those people belong to Jesus. Like they're Christians, they're people of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. That is so awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. This was a Christ-centered, Christ-saturated, Christ-exalted community who embraced the lordship of Jesus in their personal lives. That was Antioch. That was the believers at Antioch. And when they received the gospel, they received the gospel of the lordship of Jesus. So we read in Acts eleven twenty, 20, it says, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists and, um, and they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Listen, there are many places today and I'm, not, I'm really not down on the church. I don't like to talk negatively about the church because I go all over and I meet so many wonderful godly people who serve us and, and, and I always see what God is doing in many different places and, and so I'm not a negative person but there's a reality that in many churches you don't come out of the, that people and you go, you know what? Those people really, really belong to Jesus. Like, their lives are sold out. When you identify them, you go, "Those are Jesus people, like for real. You go into their house, you meet, you, you have dinner with them, they're talking about Jesus. Their careers are about Jesus. Their decisions are about Jesus. They do what Jesus tells them. They're obedient to Jesus, like they sacrifice things because Jesus says it. Like these people belong to Him. Everything they have is His. That is not the testimony of the world about a lot of Christians, right? But I want that to be my testimony. I want the world to look at my life and go, that person belongs to Jesus. And I want to belong to a church where the people around, those people, those are real, real followers of Jesus. Like, they belong to him. That's Antioch. And I I can't express to you the difference that it makes when you come back from the mission field, right, and you walk into a community of people who have true passion and commitment to Jesus Christ, like the difference that that makes to the life of a missionary. Because when for someone who has, say, packed up their life they've kissed mom and dad goodbye, they've said uh, no to career opportunities or different opportunities, and they've gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. Like, a lot of times people like that come back and the believers even aren't even interested in what's going on. It's like, but if you come back to a place where the people belong to Jesus, like, they get it. Like, it's not just like, It's like you come back and their lives are given to Jesus. My business is for Jesus. My life is for Jesus. My family is for Jesus. Like come into my home and let's love Jesus together. Like how that makes a big difference for missionaries. Revival touching the church. We need revival to touch the church in order for the world to be blessed because the quality and the success of this thing, it really matters what's going on here. It really matters like, that we are doing it. And that's how I feel every time I come back. I feel challenged and provoked by the people of God. And listen, it's not because like missionaries are better Christians in some way or something like that who have sacrificed more. It's not that at all. Like, we are weak and broken people. Let me just say that a missionary, if I can say this, because I've lived on the mission field for 10 years, I've interacted with a lot of people. Like, there is no difference between you and someone who decides to go to a different country, share the gospel. No difference. Like, we are weak and broken people. What it is is, like, (coughs) we we say, I'm going to go up the wall right now. And then halfway, we're weak and broken and tired, and the wall is like, sh- like this. <laughs> it's not like a 90-degree angle, and there's, there's like solid handhold. It's like this, and the handholds are really tough. And, and I'm about to fall off of this thing because I'm too weak, and I need somebody back here who is in a harness as well. Right? They're in a harness, I'm in a harness, and we are in this together. It's about Jesus is my Lord and he's your Lord. And when I come back, I wanna get with people who Jesus is your Lord too. Because then it makes sense. It makes sense like we're doing this together. Antioch was a prophetic church. This is my next point. (laughs) This treasuring of the prophetic can be seen in 13.3. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We see it in Acts 11. Some water here. Acts 11, 27-28. It says um, <clears throat> there were prophets that came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. It's not like the Holy Spirit said audibly. I really don't think the Holy Spirit said it audibly, like set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. But it was that these people treasured the prophetic anointing in their midst. And God spoke to them. It was in a context of community which treasured prophecy that a word like this could be given from those who came from Jerusalem. During one thing, God put it on someone's heart to give to our ministry, and one of the uh, largest one time gifts that we've had. And it was a significant, like God thing, like God was doing it. And uh, all our leaders were together, we're never together in the same nation. And the Lord was putting on this person's heart at that moment, and then all of a sudden we're all together in the same place, and he goes, God just told me to do this. I go, wow. <laughs> so we prayed about it. I was like, God, thank you for this. Like, you're, you're doing something. And then the next day we're staying at uh, John and Amorin Wesley, and I named them because I want you to know them. And almost every year when we come back, precious, beloved brother and sister in the Lord <laughs> They open their house for us, and they let us, like, invade their house and pack our bags, and they host us. And Amron makes, like, uh, the best chicken curry you've ever eaten in your life. Like, she's from India. <clears throat> and she doesn't just make dinner for us, like, give us her house and tell us. She makes the best chicken curry, and then she makes so much of it that she packs bags for you the next day and then, like, sends you to, with a lunch bag. Like, that's how she is. And that is such a blessing, right? But in the context of their home, <clears throat> so what happened was it's the following day we received this gift. And we're sitting at her dinner table and she has had Will and Edda over and Brooklyn who runs an orphanage with us in Isiolo. She's a task missionary. She has taken street boys off the street and she serves them. We're all sitting at the dinner table together and we're sharing, and I shared how when I was at IHOP a few years ago, right before we moved to, to uh, Africa, I was on a 40-day fast, and the last day of the fast, God spoke to me, Psalm 37.9. And the reason we were talking about it is because we talked about how God brought me and Will together and then spoke to our heart that he was going to provide when we had nothing for land and buildings to build in Uganda, and God told me if I would move to another location and start the, the next base, God would build that base. And two years later, it was built. Like, it was a miracle. <clears throat> and so here we are, and I feel like I'm supposed to share, uh, When right before we left, God gave me Psalm 37.9. It says, those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. And God spoke to me, as if you go to Isiolo, I'll give you land in Isiolo. And I'm like, man, that's what God spoke to me a couple years ago. And me and Will are going, maybe this gift was about that, like the fulfillment of that. And then uh, Amron goes, "Well, do you remember the dream that I sent you?" Because it's not just that she made dinner for us, that she lets us uh, pack bags and like like we begged her like, "Please let us sleep in your garage." But she's like, "No, you have to sleep in our bedroom." Like that's crazy. That's crazy love and hospitality. And I'm not saying it to like prop her up, but I'm saying it because these people are an example. Right, like they're all in with us in the way that God has called them to be. And, um, and so we're sitting there and she goes, do you remember that dream I had two years ago? I said, no. What dream? She said, I sent you a dream two years ago about land. We were just talking about, <clears throat> maybe this is for that. And, um, and so my wife, I call her Chloe O'Brien, because if you've ever seen 24, she's like, the she, like, she pulls up the dream out of nowhere, like <laughs> just crazy. Like, how do you have that dream? I didn't even know, I didn't remember the dream. She pulls it up on her phone in two minutes. <laughs> she's very administrative. And uh, the dream says something, but, she, but it says, I saw Chan and Teresa, then I saw Brooklyn. Brooklyn is sitting in the room with us from Africa at their table. Like, it's crazy. She, Amron, gave this dream two years ago, and Brooklyn is at the table. And I, I saw Brooklyn, and I saw a release of finances, and the Lord is giving you land. This is two years later, and me and Will are sitting there going, oh, my gosh, this is it. I mean, the prophetic word of the Lord. And what I'm saying is, and listen, there, there's a reason I'm sharing this, is because it was in the context of that hospitality and that love and that commitment to missions and that partnership. It was that context which is causing the mission to succeed. It's about partnership for the gospel. Hallelujah. Antioch was a worshipful church which believed in the power of prayer and fasting. Now listen, we see this in verse 2 and 3. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord, and then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them. And I just want to say briefly about IHOP. For those of you who maybe don't really get it yet, Like, you're like, what is IHOP, this 24-7 thing? And it's okay. Like, not everybody has to get it. You don't have to get it right away. (laughs) But I want you to know that this is not like some kind of charismatic anomaly where super spiritual people get to do less work and pray more. Like, that is not what IHOP is. And it's not like this evangelical thing where, like, we got to keep up with 24/7 Walmart. So, 24/7 church services. Boom. Any time of the week, you come to church service at IHOP. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what IHOP is. Listen, this 24/7 intercession is something that God has been and is raising up in the nations and he's raising up night and day worship and intercession for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth and for the sake of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is about to enter the greatest trouble she's ever seen. And the Lord promised, and he said, I'm going to raise up a movement of intercession. In Isaiah 62, 6-7, he says, On your walls, Jerusalem... I've set watchmen all day and all night. They shall never be silent, you who put the Lord to remembrance. Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Like, listen, God has a really, really big plan. And the way that he brings that plan into existence in the earth is by prayer and intercession. And night and day prayer is not something new. Because of time, I won't go into it. I was going to read you this whole thing about the Moravians. But listen, in 1727, God poured out his spirit on this group of people called the Moravians, because they're from Moravia. About 600 people came together, community. They were arguing, fighting, then the Holy Spirit was poured out. They started loving each other, and immediately after the spirit was poured out, they started a 24-7 prayer watch called Hernhut. They started taking shifts 24 hours a day, and people would take turns praying two hours. Praying two hours, 24 hours a day. That prayer meeting lasted 100 years, and here's what you need to know about it. It is at the same time as that prayer meeting that God released the great awakening across Europe and America. John Wesley who is one of the most strategic people in the Great Awakening, got saved after meeting a Moravian. Like a Moravian led him to the Lord and he was impacted by the Moravians. So was his brother. But it's not just like their influence on the the leaders of the revival. I believe that the revival that was being poured out was in response to the day and night worship. But listen... It's not just that. God began to give dreams and visions to the people of Moravia and they brought the gospel to lands. No one was going Africa, Asia, the Middle East. They went all around the world. They sent people all around the world because in the chamber of prayer, God began to give birth to missions that were touching the nations. They are known as being the, the founders of the Protestant missions movement. Because William Carey, who would go to India, he cried out to his own people and said, Look, if the Moravians are doing it, we can do it. Why aren't we doing it? And the Protestant missions movement was actually birthed from a night and day permitting. This is not just something. Like, this is a prophetic thing God is doing, and I want to encourage you to believe and support and go to the house of prayer. And if God is calling you to be an intercessor, like, get in there and get involved in the house of prayer because this is really, really important. Amen. Amen. Finally, I want to say that this was a church radically engaged in missions. I'm not saying that they had a missions program, right? Like, like, that is great. Like, I like when churches have missions programs, and that's awesome. <laughs> but it's not like one of the values that we have is missions, you know, Antioch. One of the values is missions. So here we give part of the budget to missions. Like, that's not Antioch. It's like this. We as a people are called and committed to a radical and dynamic partnership as the body in order to see missionaries sent to the ends of the earth and to the nations with the gospel. And we are in this together. We are sold out for Jesus together to see this happen. That's Antioch. Like this is what we do. It's who we are. We're in Antioch. And everybody's involved. Everybody. We're all called. We all care about it. Paul and Barnabas are sent out from Antioch to bring the gospel to the unreached. It says, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them. They sent them. And Paul explains this paradigm of partnership for missions in Romans chapter 10. In chapter ten, verse fourteen through fifteen, and when you see uh, Acts chapter thirteen as kind of the backdrop for this, really makes a lot of sense. But you see the reality of partnership in what Paul says in uh, in Romans chapter ten. He says, verse uh, fourteen: How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Beloved, I want to say something that there are multitudes and multitudes who do not have access to the gospel. That's what unreached means. It's not a they don't have a church on every corner. They don't know a Christian, and those are the people we need to get the gospel to. Those who have never heard the name of Jesus, who don't have access, and those are the people we send laborers to. Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach Christ, not where he's already been named. Not where he's already been named. Like I go to those who have never heard. That's my ambition. That's really the heart of missions. Right? There are multitudes. They don't call upon God. They can't call upon God. They live in their sins. They live under God's wrath because they're in their sins. Somebody said, what about the innocent people in the jungles of Africa? Are they going to go to heaven? And he say, Yeah. But there's no innocent people in the jungles of Africa. There's no innocent people anywhere. Like we're all offending our conscience. We're all sinning against God. We're all idol worshipers. Like people need the gospel. And this gospel is salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. And there are peoples who still need it, who don't have access to it, right? And so Paul says, how are they going to believe on him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And there it is. There it is. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The partnership is seen in the sent. Because how can they go and preach Unless there are partners, which is the body, Acts chapter 13, laying hands on them and sending them out. And because of time, I won't read it to you, but they would come back. Actually, I will read that to you. One more verse. They would come back, Paul and Barnabas, and they would report to this people. And there is a synergy and a support. I want to look quickly at uh, 3 John 1 through 4. It says And this is why I'm saying this, because what Paul is rejoicing is that Gaius belongs to Jesus. He, this guy belongs to Jesus. And because he belongs to Jesus, let's jump down to five and see what he's doing. He says, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, and therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I mean, this is a powerful thing. There's nothing that is more burdensome on my heart because we've been doing this for 10 years and so many godly people have supported us and it's deeply humbling Than to really, really say this to people because people are kind of like, ah, like you guys are doing amazing. Like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You are a fellow worker. Like you are a participant in this work. You really gotta understand that. You're not a second class citizen. Like you loving Jesus, you belonging to Jesus, and you hosting somebody, and then you sending them out with support, like you're a fellow worker. This thing wouldn't succeed without you. I just have to name one more person, because when we were coming here with our uh, travel trailer connected to our truck, and we were going to park at IHOP, and when we first came back, we were planting 756 and doing everything, joining IHOP, and uh, we, we texted with Mr. Keller, and he was supposed to set us up at IHOP, and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, Mrs. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Keller. And uh, they're like, yeah, you know, there's not really a good place here. So just come to our house. And this guy, like, we show up at his house. They, he climbs in his attic and uh, sets up like an entire like new electrical system, <laughs> like he makes a plug so that we could plug in our RV at his house, and parks us in their front yard for like a month. Lets us live on their farm in the front of their house, like blocking their view, their beautiful view, and like in their front yard with our RV, our entire family. Like I, that is so amazing. Like it's so amazing. Like, you guys are fellow workers with us. Like, you guys loved us, and these guys have been here for us, counseling, like, my wife and Leslie, like, counseling her and someone to talk to. Uh, Billy has been there for us uh, at times when I said to Billy, listen, I don't know if I would have made it if you hadn't talked to me in those seasons. What it means to be an Antioch. And here's what I'm saying. Like, these are examples. Not everybody is supposed to be a missionary. Like, that's not true. Not everybody is called to be in the military. Right? But we all are called to participate in the mission. Antioch was centered on obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this is the last thing I'll say. Acts 14, 25 through 27. Oh, they sent out their their best. That's the other thing I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to say here. F.F. Bruce says, The two men who are to be released for what we should nowadays call missionary service overseas were the two most eminent and gifted leaders in the church. That's amazing. That means that it, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was standing there, actually. One thing I felt like I was supposed to say. You are not professionals. You are prophets and apostles and teachers, the leaders of this church. We are not professionals. These are not professionals. The main, per, the main teacher, the Holy Spirit says, go preach over here go bring the hospital unreached, they send him out. Like, Holy Spirit, like we are a people who yield to one another, love one another, and live before one another humbly. We're not professionals. We are apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. And I don't mean prophets like Old Testament prophets. I mean people with apostolic ministries. I don't mean like, you know, we write Bible verses or anything like that. And I'm not talking about me. I'm actually talking about the leaders of this church. I felt like that was what God wanted me to say. But at Antioch, they rejoiced over what God was doing on the mission field. They didn't just send missionaries. They received them back. They cared for them. And they rejoiced at the testimonies of what God was doing around the world. This is in chapter 14, 25 through 27. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adelaia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's amazing. Because at Antioch, you go someplace, you're like, this is what God did. Like a, a Muslim in Afghanistan gave his life to Jesus. And they're like, ooh, Afghanistan, that's a dangerous place. You guys okay? You safe out there? Like, no, no, a Muslim in Afghanistan gave his life to Jesus. Like, praise Jesus. In Antioch, they go, yes, a Muslim in Afghanistan gave his life to Jesus. Yes, the gospel's going forth to the nations. That's what happens at Antioch. Beloved, rejoice over what God is doing because you are a part of it. Like grab somebody, grab some of these task missionaries and go, "Listen. Tell me the stories. I want to hear the stories. Because I work and my business belongs to Jesus, but I gave a little bit of that to you. I want to hear what God is doing. Like tell me the stories cuz I participate in that. Like I'm part of. I want to hear about it. We sent you out. We send you out. Tell me what God is doing. This is what we're about as a church. Like we're interested in what God is doing. That's a big deal. I believe that God is doing something unique in this body. And you guys can go ahead and stand up. And and, uh, you guys can go ahead and play. And we're going to end here about 10 minutes late. I believe, and I want to speak this prophetically, that God is doing something unique in this body. There's a reason he has called us together. This is meant to be a center of revival in Atlanta. This is a place where people belong to Jesus in a radical way. This is a place of night and day worship and prayer where labors are sent to the nations with the gospel. It's already happening and I believe that it will happen to a greater measure. And here's what I'm calling you to today. The whole body needs to believe God for this to work. Like we have to believe the prophetic destiny. We have to believe the purpose of God and go, I'm a part of this. Listen, you have a full-time job and maybe you feel disconnected and you go, I don't know, I'm not spiritual like that person or I'm not a full-time intercessor at IHOP. No, no, no. Like, you are a full-time computer tech for Jesus. Jesus. You matter to this body, right? Like, we believe with you the gospel to go forth in your office, and you believe with us the gospel to go forth in the nations. Amen? Do you believe that? Like, you're not just a carpenter. Like, you're a carpenter who belongs to Jesus. You're a carpenter who belongs to Jesus. And the Lord, even now, is going to give you a bigger vision for your life. You go, this is yours, God. See, in Antioch, it's whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it's for the glory of God. And we're in this together. We're in this together. Man, I rejoice that there are professionals in the body of Christ. I rejoice. Because there's no way I could do what we're doing without the support of people who have given their life's energy and then they go, I believe in the call of God. I believe in the gospel. I believe in this. Like. There's no way we could do it. There's no second-class citizens. We are in this together. Hallelujah. And so I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge you to give Jesus everything today and to, in a, in a fresh way, just go, God, I believe this, we're called to be an Antioch, and I want to be someone who belongs to you. I want to be, I want to know my part in this, and I want to give you my life. I want to give you my career. I want to give you my education. I want to give you my family. I want to give you everything. I want to belong to you. Whatever I'm holding back, God just speak to me. And I'm, you know, I shared about people and I said names because I am commending you. I'm saying, like, this is such an example. There's nowhere where I have felt more uh, challenged in the grace of God to continue doing what we're doing than the way I have been loved and challenged to pursue Jesus from this community. Like, I love it. And listen, the house of prayer is so critical for people like me because I don't need to, like come off the mission field go on vacation i need to get on my face in the house of prayer like the fact that that's there so powerful like you guys this is an antioch like this is so awesome what god is doing